Hey, it's Bob Stoffer. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Oilers Now ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer, Weekdays at noon on Oilers Radio. 630 Chad. 6.30 Chad and the Edmonton Oilers Hockey Club present the show that is everything Oilers. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer. Brought to you by Digitex. Office Equipment Solutions North America Wide. Yeah, Digitex does that. D-I-G-I-T-E-X dot C-A on Oilers Radio. 6.30 Chad. We got a funny story coming up here right now for you. It's 106 at Edmonton. This is Oilers Now. Bob Stoffer continuing to work from home. Uh, Brendan Escott, huge part of our show, uh, helps put it together each day with me. And uh, he is at the 630 Chad Studios. Oilers Now is brought to you by our title sponsor for the last eight years on 630 Chad. It's Digitex. Hugh Porter and his staff at Digitex want to wish you and yours all the best during these uncertain times. Digitex.ca uh, uh, available in Manitoba, Saskatchewan, Alberta and LBC. Digitex.ca Alberta's number one owned and operated place to buy office technology and software. We're going to head straight off to our regular Thursday contributor to the show from our friends at Canadian Power Pack, Alberta's leader in electrical construction service, electrical prefabrication, and solar. Longtime NHL executive, now with NHL Hockey on Rogers, we welcome back Brian Burke. Hello, Brian. How are you doing? Good, Bob. How are you? Good. I, I'm going to make you chuckle. I don't know if you came across this. Uh, Daniel Nugent Bowman, who uh, works for the Athletic, he's a, gr- he's a grinder, he works hard. He's written a piece on the Oilers' selection of Leon Dreisaitl inside the franchise-altering decision to pick Leon Dreisaitl over uh, Sam Bennett. And there was one part of it that made me chuckle. Uh, And it comes from Kevin Lowe. He quotes Kevin. Uh, sitting at the Oilers' table, Lowe looked over the team next to his, the Calgary Flames, and he goes, all I remember is Brian Burke and Brad Treliving high-fiving one another after we chose Dreisaitl, Lowe said. And I was thinking, oh, he used a different word, but we'll use the word crap. Did we miss something here? Uh, <laughs> because we were we were uh, still, you know, because of the Yakupov selection in 2012, a little bit gun-shy selecting. And, of course, I can tell you, Brian, hosting this show in the spring of 2014, all the listeners know this. I was so overwhelmingly, I was a dry settle guy. And uh, I didn't mind Bennett. I, th- I thought he had a ton of character. I still think he has a ton of character. I think he's got a higher ceiling than he's shown in Calgary. But I was a dry settle guy. So I was completely jaundiced myself on that pick. 
So can you confirm or deny, like, did, did you and uh, Brad Trailering crack a good joke at that time? Because Kevin was quite nervous. He thought, uh-oh, what do the Flames know here on Leon that we don't know? It's kind of an interesting story. Well, it, it is. I, I didn't read that piece. Uh, I do subscribe to The Athletic, and I recommend people do it. Um, but I, I, I think, uh, and I'm just as paranoid of the draft as Kevin is. If I'd have seen them doing it, I would have said, hey, hey what's going on? Uh, right. No, we, we were very, we're, if you remember, in that draft, Aaron Ekblad was a consensus number one for everybody. Yep. But the lists were all different after that for two, three, four, five, right down to ten. And if you look, the, the bandwidth of players went. There, there are decent players in there, and guys that have turned into good players, but the bandwidth is pretty narrow. And you could argue right now Kevin Fiala might be the best guy out of that next group, but probably William Nylander going into this. Yeah, Michael Dalcall, Jake Vertanen, good yep. players. Yep. And, and big forwards. We were looking for a big forward. So we were high-fiving that Buffalo took Sam Reinhardt. Because now we know no matter what you do, we're getting Dreisaitl. No matter what Edmonton does, we get Leon Dreisaitl or we get Sam Bennett. We really like those two. And we weren't sure what Edmonton was going to do. So we spent a lot of time on, on Dreisaitl. Tree and I took him out for supper, and uh, we had the whole staff interview him like we typically do. But then we took him out for dinner near the airport in Toronto. Yep. Remember we went to the Chop restaurant, the steakhouse that's owned by uh, Tom Gillardi. That owns that yes. And there's one out by the airport, and we took him there. We were really impressed with him as a hockey player, but we're just as impressed with him as a person. Yeah, well, I, I know uh, <laughs> I know the case of the Edmonton Oilers staff. I had a staff member call me after their dinner, and uh, I quote Brian, he said, Bob, it was like he knew all the questions that were coming. <laughs> I, yeah. don't know how, I don't know how something like that happens, Brian. But anyhow. Yeah, I think you had something to do with that. <laughs> Anyhow, I digress. Uh, so even look, I I, I saw Le- uh, Leon was with Prince Albert. They played the Oil Kings that year in the opening round of the WHL playoffs. They had a couple March visits. Corey Clouston, who as you know, spent some time in Edmonton, the University of Alberta, was the coach of PA. Um, and I remember Jim Matheson and myself saw Leon play, I think, at least five games uh, in the second half of the season. And at one point, Maddie and me just looked at him and we're like, the Oilers have to take this guy if he's sitting there. Uh, you know, and it was just... But I will say, Brian, to, I did not think... Like, I knew Leon had skill. I knew he was smart. Um, I guess, ultimately, I didn't know that he had the drive. I thought he was going to be good. I wasn't sure if he was going to be great. And the last two years, he's been a great player in the NHL. And that just shows you how the draft works. You don't always know, do you? No, and also it shows that Edmonton was patient with the development. Like he spent, he went back to junior. He spent time in the minors. Like that's what to say about you know the SC Puliyarvi uh, or the Sedins. I'm like it doesn't happen automatically or, or miraculously on cue for every player. Sometimes you got to wait. And the knock our guy's question with Leon was he had a little bit of a lazy skating style. Yeah. When he wanted to go, he could go, and everyone was he's an adequate skater, not not an issue, not a flag but also that he had a little bit of laziness in his stride. And you realize that it's just efficiency, really. It's like Jack Eichel. He takes really long strides. So it looks like he's not skating that fast, but he is. The funny thing is, you guys got Bennett fourth. 
And, you know, he, he, uh, at the start of the next year, he had – I remember when I got word uh, that, that he was hurt, and it was right at the start of the season for you guys. And he suffered a shoulder injury. He got shut down in 14-15. Um, and then returned late in the year to the Kingston Frontenacs. Um, you know, his, it, it looks like his offensive game has kind of stagnated a bit in Calgary, and I, I just wonder a bit with him. It's been five seasons now that he's been with the Flames. I still like him. I think he's one of those guys that will be way better in the playoffs than the regular season. But I still think he's got a way higher ceiling, Brian, than he's shown offensively. But it's been five years. And, I mean, he only scored eight goals in 52 games this year. Am I wrong on Bennett, or do you think he's got more offensive juice to give? Well, he doesn't play with the top offensive guys, so we don't know, really. Uh, so far in his pro career, first off, he's a wonderful kid. He's a very popular teammate. So that's to start off. He's got value even if he never scores any goals. He can play left wing. He can play center. He can kill penalties, and he can fight. Those are all valuable attributes. If you get some offense with it, great. Now, when we we drafted him, we felt we'd get more offense. But what's emerged in Vancouver is he's not in the top six. Yeah. And I defy you to find me guys with good numbers that don't play in the top six. So I think what you'll see is when a guy gets hurt and they move him up and down, he's perfectly capable of playing there for a while. But if this is all Sam Bennett is, uh, I think that I would say the Calgary Flames are just fine with all Sam Bennett is because of those things he provides. And I think the playoffs are tailor-made for a guy like him. Yeah, he's uh, he's one of those guys that comes up and punches above his weight class come playoff time because you know I he's he's gonna do he's gonna go to the dirt areas on the ice to score and that's what you got to do in the playoffs. There's not a lot of easy goals scored if we have a playoffs. And on that note, I know you would have seen Rob McLean's uh, interview with Brian Burke yesterday. Frank Cervelli, I don't know how well you know Frank, but uh, he's a grinder. He works hard. He put a piece out today on TSN listed Edmonton. Uh, uh, Dallas, Edmonton, Toronto, Dallas, and Pittsburgh as, say, four potential site locations. And it was partially based on COVID information and where, you know, cities aren't getting pounded with COVID-19 right now and also f- facilities. Is there any logic to that or from your perspective in terms of kind of that rationale of looking to maybe having a divisional setup in four cities in the National Hockey League to have some form of uh, a resumption of the season? Well, it's Edmonton, Dallas, Toronto, and which was the fourth? Pittsburgh. Okay. First off, you got NBA complex in Dallas and Toronto. So that, that would be a problem right out of the... The NBA is going to try and go just like we are. They're going to go and try and play as soon as they get the green light. Yeah. So that, that for that reason, I would say Dallas and Toronto don't make sense to me. Edmonton makes perfect sense. Um, Pittsburgh uh, makes some sense. I'm not, their practice facility is quite a ways from the rink, but I don't know how much practice. I think practice is important, but I don't know how much practice there's going to be between games. I, I'm guessing this is going to have to be ugly and compact. Yes. But otherwise, it makes sense. you got NHL buildings, as Gary calls, the back of house, dressing rooms, medical room, uh, press box setup, camera locations. Everything meets our standards. Lighting temperature, ice, it's all to our standards. We don't need to check anything. Makes sense to me. Going into an NBA building, though, to me makes no sense. I would rather go put uh, Minneapolis-St. Paul. They have a basketball team, of course, but they play in Minneapolis. Right. Put St. Paul on on that list ahead of one of those two teams and uh, maybe St. Louis. And Gary did say 
I mean, because it's clearly East has been, and just to put things in perspective, Brian, you probably know these numbers, but 91.3% of the deaths in Canada are in Ontario and Quebec. I mean, Quebec's at 58% of the deaths in this country. They have, uh, I think, 22% of the population. So they're going through a tough time there. They have an older community. They got people living closer together. They had a lot of international flights early. There's lots of reasons why this has transpired. Uh, Ontario's got 39% of the population, 33% of the deaths. New York City, Brian, has over, or New York State's got over 15,000 deaths. Alberta's got 66. And Edmonton's got nine. Like it's, and Alberta's testing more than any other province uh, in Canada right now. So, so Edmonton, because the COVID has to be, the, the actual impact of COVID, Brian, you would agree, has to be a part of the equation. Is that not fair? Well, to the point where I still don't think we're going to play. Yeah, I, I still do not believe we're going to solve this this epic illness sweeping the planet in time to play uh, this to complete the season or have playoffs. I hope I'm wrong. I pray every night before I go to bed that I'm wrong. But it has to be the number one concern. It has to be the safety of the players and the staff. There's trainers, there's doctors. It's got to be safe for everybody. If we can play within those confines, I'd say play. Now, the one thing I'd point out, Bob, is New York City might be the safest place to be in another month because the, the pandemic has gone through and has taken its horrible toll and their cases are going down now. So 60 days from now or 90 days from now, that might that might not be a, high, a hot spot and Dallas might be by then. Who knows? Yeah, and that's because uh, it, it, it is an evolving situation. Uh, we've also heard that there's conflicting perspectives on how to deal with the drop. So I'm going to, as a former executive in the league, what would you feel if they just went ahead? And, and you can explain about how expiring contracts work for scouts. When are they normally over by? Uh, usually June 30th or, or that dra- red day after the draft, but usually oh. June 30th. Okay, and there was, I believe it was Elliot Friedman reported that there was one team that had 18 expiring, like they had decisions to make on 18 different staff members. Could you have a draft if you've not canceled the remainder of the season? So let's say you have a, a draft June the 20th and the season's still not yet canceled. And how you possibly factor you know the contingencies on trades and like look at the james neal trade right like he if he scored 20 goals and had more 10 than 10 goals than milan lucic the flames got the Oilers third uh i don't know how they would deal with all you know all the, the separate sort of things that were built into some of the trades there but i want to ask you could it does it make sense that to keep the draft in around the june 20th to 25th window not to me not to me not not that's got to be uh, and I, I don't. I sense from the, the commissioner's remarks, I heard that there was very strong pushback about that proposal by the GMs. So here are the issues for me: expiring scouts contracts. That, that's there's a, there's a couple GMs whose contracts expire this summer too. I think. Right. Yeah. So that's one issue. Number one issue is the order selection. So without finishing the regular season, you cannot properly ascertain the order of selection. That impacts again on lottery how many teams in the lottery, what their odds are, and so on. Conditional trades and picks that were pledged, if certain things happen, Tampa Bay, if Vancouver makes the playoffs, Tampa Bay and the J.T. Miller gets a, a first-round pick, and so on. Uh, Toffoli, L.A. gets a, a first-round pick or a second-round pick if uh, Vancouver resigns Toffoli. That might not happen by June 30th. So there is a lot at stake. Now, can they do this? Yes. 
can they resolve these issues? Yeah, they'd say, okay, we're going to use the draft selection order based on uh, highest points per game, winning percentage as of the day. So a team that played fewer games but has a higher winning percentage could get in. And to give you an idea how this could impact the team, the J.T. Miller deal right now, Vancouver, I don't believe, is in a playoff spot. But a winning percentage, I think they would be because they played fewer games. So if the league had to skip the rest of the regular season and go on winning percentage, Vancouver would then owe Tampa Bay a pick. I'm pretty sure I looked at it last night. So it's severe impact, really big. I would wait. I would nail down the order selection. But the first catch would be, Bob, if we start to run out of time, say it's July, and, yep. and we have to get this game back on the ice, and we've got the green light. The first casualty is going to be regular season games. That's hundred percent, hundred percent. Then they'll have to resolve those inequities and say we're going on winning percentage. And you know, it, tough, tough luck, guys. Sorry, but then you got conditional draft trip picks. If we don't play the playoffs, what, what do you do if you're the Islanders that, that's signed Jean Gabriel Pajot for two first round picks? Uh, what, what if you do all the first round and second round picks that are in play conditional on making the playoffs or winning around? They're going to have to resolve those. So there's a lot here that has to be worked out. The NHLPA, the NHL, the officials, all of it have to sit down and figure it out. But none of it makes a difference until someone in authority says, guys, you can play. And we will not play in front of fans. That I'm sure of. Right, and again, that was sort of alluded to yesterday by Alberta Premier Jason Kenney. We have Brian Burke for Canadian Power Pack. Brian, where were you in late June, early July 1992 in the course of your career? 1992, I would have just been starting in Hartford. Okay, so and I'm, I'm bringing this up because... Uh, uh, we had Brian Lawton on yesterday. We we're talking a bit about the Eric Eric Lindros trade because that was one of the first times. Speaking of how the league handled things, uh, and and the Eric Lindros situation was a big deal because he was such a terrific, uh, you know, commodity at that time as a player. That's one of the first times I can remember an arbitrator getting involved in something, uh, and I believe it was Larry Bertuzzi, and I think it, so. ha- it had a significant. I mean. Imagine what it could have, should have, if he elected to go, because as most of the listeners know, the Quebec Nordiques at the 1992 draft gave both the New York Rangers and the Philadelphia Flyers the impression that they traded them to both teams. Has that ever happened to you, where you thought you had a deal consummated and <laughs> somebody else came in and, you know, either undercut you or scooped you or whatever, uh... <laughs> and did you, did, did you ever think, I might have to take this to an arbitrator to decide? Well, the only, I had a situation when I, when I got to Hartford. The, the, uh, the, we had traded, the Hartford Whalers had traded uh, or acquired uh, the goaltender, Alex Petrangelo. No, Frank Petrangelo, sorry. Yep. And, and they never agreed on what the compensation was. So I'm a new GM, and Craig Patrick called me from the Penguins and said, you, you've got to give us something for Petrangelo. I'm like, well, what do you mean? He said, we, me and EJ never worked out the deal, and uh, it was just like kind of take him, we'll figure it out later. And we couldn't agree, so during training camp, I had to drive from Burlington, Vermont to Montreal, fly to Toronto, and arbitrate this case. And we ended up getting, I forget what we got for him, we gave up for him. I want to say a second, but it might have been a third. But that's the only time like that. Now, you can't have confusion on trades now, because there is no trade till the league files it. He only had a 855 save percentage for you that next season. <laughs> Sean well, Burke. Sean, 
Sean Burke ended up. Our, yeah, yeah. That was, I went out and got a goaltender. Petrangelo is a great kid, but I, uh, I went out and got a goaltender, and we drafted a goaltender that, that year, too. We drafted Manny Legacy. Um, but we went out and got a goaltender, and he was our team MVP, so that worked out okay. You uh, you had a little bit of toughness. You had an under yet. You, you know what? You had two guys. I want to just quickly ask you about Jim McKenzie because I think he's one of the underrated heavyweights in NHL history, and then a guy that could play a bit as a third line center and could fight. And he was a lefty, Mark Janssens. Well, Mark Janssens was really sneaky tough. Like he was six four, but he had really long arms. Like it seemed like his his hands hung down below his knees. So he had a reach advantage. He was six four to begin with, or six three. But he had a reach advantage on everyone he fought. He could really fight a lefty. Uh, didn't look for it too much, but he didn't have to on that. So we had Nicky Kiprios, who had 17 goals and 325 penalty minutes for me there. Jimmy McKenzie, who was our heavyweight, and is tougher than a night in jail. But we had about seven guys on that team <laughs> I like to fight. That's the toughest team I ever had. Fatty Verbeek was on that team. He would have racked him up. Adam Burt would, would have given you some club toughness, right? Some support toughness. Yep. And Patty Verbeek was our captain. He was terrific. And uh, wasn't uh, Randy Lattisir there late in his career, I'm thinking? Randy, Randy was there, yeah, but he was just a big guy. He didn't fight that much. But, again, you didn't have to. We had enough guys that did it that Randy didn't have to fight too much. But that was a team where uh, there was a lot of toughness on that team, and that was my first team. That was my first trademark and first time I committed to the, the three pillars I had, which is we're going to play a rough style everywhere, everywhere I go. And yeah, people like uh, watching my teams play because we play an entertaining style and because we hit and we fight. You had a minor league legend that got a couple games, a uh, minor league tough guy legend as well, Not and the guy was a limited player. I believe, uh, Barry Nike, is it Nykar? Is that how they pronounce his name? You got, do, you remember, I, do you remember him at all? Yeah, I do. It was Nescar, I think is how you say it. But Nescar? Him, yeah. He's yeah. from Rama, Saskatchewan. He was, I, he was a guy that uh, liked to go in the minors too. Brian, great stuff. Thanks for taking a, a trip down memory lane with us, and uh, never read too much in when guys are high fiving at the draft, eh? That's right. <laughs> Super. Thanks a lot, Brian. Yeah. Uh, from NHL Hockey and Rogers, longtime NHL executive. That's Brian Burke for our friends at Canadian Power Pack, Alberta's leader in electrical construction and service, electrical prefabrication and solar. Uh, you can text us on our Ashley Fine Floor text line, 780-496-0063. Ashley Fine Floors, providing winning results for over 35 years. Uh, Reed Wilkins coming up. We'll hook up with him on the River Cree Resort Casino Hotline. And I do want to tell you, during uh, this season, the Oilers Now Injury Report is brought to you by James H. Brown Injury Lawyers. When accidents happen, go to jameshbrown.com. Off to a global news weather traffic update with Eileen Bell. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer, Weekdays at noon on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad.